Good morning again, Lakeshore. We are so glad that you're with us today. Those of you in Smyrna, we're so glad you're with us at that campus. Anybody joining us online, listening to the podcast, we're glad that you've connected with us that way as well. Uh, any Indiana Jones fans here today? Anybody? Yeah, that's some of my favorite series of movies are the Indiana Jones movies. And that scene has always stood out to me as a great illustration of what we're talking about today in the book of James. We are in a series where we're going straight through the book of James, verse by verse. We started out with learning to be calm under pressure and how to resist temptation, how to control our temper. Uh, Last week, we talked about being free of prejudice. And today, we're going to be talking about the relationship between faith and action, faith and works, faith and, and taking those steps that God has called us all to take because those two things are always connected together in Scripture. Faith and action go together. And, and so we sometimes have this idea, if you've been in church very long, you've been raised as a Christian maybe, you've grown up with this, when you hear another sermon on faith, you think, well, I already know all this stuff. I already know everything about faith. And it reminds me of a guy down in Georgia named Leroy who was a deer hunter all his life. And uh, he had been doing deer hunting uh, so well, he was very successful at it. And he had a friend named Bubba who had never been deer hunting before. And, and Bubba got to talking to Leroy. He said, man, I know you think you know everything about deer hunting, but I think I can do it too. I think I know just as much as you do. I want you to take me deer hunting with you. And he nagged him and nagged him. Finally, he said, okay, Bubba, you can come with me deer hunting. Next time I go. So next time he goes deer hunting, he picks up Bubba. He takes him out. He's got a stand, and he puts him in on one side of a field. He goes across the field to the other side, gets up, and here's deer stand. And there they wait, uh, as many people do the way they deer hunt in tree stands like that. Then all of a sudden, Leroy heard, bam, 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 real fast shots from over Bubba's direction. And Bubba starts yelling, I got him, I got him. Come quick. So... Leroy gets down out of his stand, and he runs across the field, and he comes up on Bubba, and he's standing there with a dead animal at his feet and a guy with his hands raised. And the guy says to Bubba, all right, all right, I give in. It's your deer. Just let me get the saddle off of it first. (laughs) Sometimes we think we know more than we know. We think we understand more than we really understand. And when it comes to the relationship between faith and works, I think in the church today, there's a lot of extremes on two sides, neither of which is really what the Bible teaches about the relationship between faith and works. And James is addressing a problem in his letter that had arisen in the church. Remember, given enough time and opportunity, what can we do? We can mess up. And the the people who were claiming to believe in Christ, claiming to be followers of Jesus, were sometimes saying the words, claiming the faith, without living the life that should be lived if you are a Christ follower. And thinking it was perfectly okay because they said they had faith. Now, we're going to look at another passage where Paul addresses another problem in the church where there were those who came from uh, a Jewish background who were trying to say that Gentiles, in order to be Christians, had to 
bring themselves under the law, the old law, and do all the works of the old law, or they couldn't be saved. It was two extremes that we see being dealt with in the early church. Because given enough time and opportunity, we can mess it up. We can get off track. So let's look today at, at this idea of the relationship between faith and works. And James starts out, the first thing on the outline I want us to see today is a picture of faith without works. All right, James 2, beginning with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, that's a question that in their original grammatical structure answers itself. All right, you don't see it in here. It's hard to put it into an English translation. But what he's saying is, can such faith save him? And the answer is absolutely not. That's what James is saying. That the kind of faith that has no deeds is not saving faith. You might believe intellectually, you might believe information about something without it being applied to your life properly and call that faith, but that's not saving faith. He's trying to make sure they understand that. It's not that he's not, he's not saying you're not saved by faith. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're saved by faith, but you have to understand that faith without deeds is not saving faith. It doesn't work that way. So he goes on to illustrate it a little more. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? He's asking them to answer the question. What good is it for that person if all you did for them was say, I wish you faith, my brother, my sister. Have you really helped them? Have you actually done anything that made a difference there? No. And he's saying, I don't want you to think about that just about helping somebody in need. That's a good thing to do, and that is part of the action of faith. But he's not trying to limit it to that. He's saying, here's an illustration of what I'm talking about. If you claim to have faith, but you don't do the stuff you're supposed to do if you have faith, then you don't really have faith. You're just saying you have faith. Faith without deeds is not saving faith. So he goes on to say, in the same way, Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. I, I love the way he uses that illustration, too. It's dead. It has no life in it. But he knew there were going to be people who argued with him. Not that we Christians argue about stuff ever, but so, sometimes somebody in the church might argue about something. And he says, just in case you have this argument, here, here, here's what he says about it. Okay? Someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. He says, all right. Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. There are going to be people who claim to have faith who don't put it into practice, who don't live it out, who don't take the action that faith calls for. He's saying if you really want to see that you have faith, it will be played out in your actions, in your lifestyle, in your choices that you make and the words that you speak and the obedience that you show to God with what he's told you to do. And I love James for this reason. This next thing that he says is one of my favorites in the whole letter, okay? Because James uses a tool that I really enjoy. He uses sarcasm. 
And I really like sarcasm. Now, sometimes I like it too much. Sometimes I go a little too far. You know how you can be too sarcastic sometimes, and it really is not very nice. So I try to bring it under the control of the Spirit, but I give myself liberty to use sarcasm because James did. Now, he's not the only one in Scripture that did, but this is an occasion where James uses sarcasm. And, and I love it. Here, here's what he does. You believe there's one God? Good. Way to go, buddy. Yay! Even the demons believe that. And shudder. Now, the reason he uses the term believe there's one God is because that was a mantra that the Jews had used called the Shema. They still use it today in Jewish synagogues. It's where they quote from the Old Testament law, the Lord our God is one. All right, and it's a declaration of their faith in the one true God. Now, the Shema is good, except that what can you do with something that you, re- re- you memorize it, you, you can quote it over and over again? What can often happen with that? It becomes shallow, hollow, just words, doesn't it? Just something you repeat. We did that for years with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I, I played on sports teams that before we would go out and start the game, what would we do? We'd get in the huddle and we would repeat the Lord's Prayer. You know what we were thinking about? Killing the other team. <laughs> Winning the game, whatever it took. But we would quote the Lord's Prayer, right? Before we charged out there to crush somebody, right? You see, you can get into this remote habit of saying the right things without living the right life. They've gotten pretty skilled at it. And what I see in the church in America today is how we've circled right back to that again. Given enough time and opportunity, we've been able to do what? Mess it up again. We have a lot of people saying they're believers without following through on being obedient to taking the actions that God has called us to take. And we excuse it by saying we're only human or, you know, what do you expect? We're just, we're just human beings. We're in the flesh. And we make all these excuses, but it doesn't change the fact that faith without action is what, did he say? It's dead. And he says, even the demons believe that and shudder. Uh, shudder means they have an awesome reverence and fear of God. Do you think demons are saved? No. The Bible tells us that hell was prepared for Satan and his angels, his demons. Okay? That's, that's why hell was prepared. So we know demons aren't saved, yet they believe in God as the one true God. And they even have a fear of God in their existence. And they're still not saved. See, James is making it as clear as he can possibly make it. That just having this intellectual ability to say, I believe, doesn't mean you have saving faith. Doesn't mean you are right with God. Just because you have said the words, I believe. There's a great example of this in Luke 4, verse 40. Uh, 
Jesus is early in his ministry. He's performing great miracles. His reputation has uh, gotten around. It says, At sunset the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, listen to this, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. He didn't want that to be revealed yet. Demons not only believed in the one true God, what else did they believe? That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Do you think those demons are saved? No. You see, just believing the information is not the same thing as having saving faith. If it doesn't produce the changed life, the action that God is calling for, as you learn God's Word and you see what He says to do, and if you don't do it, you just refuse to do it, that's not saving faith. Now, the danger is we start thinking we're saved by our works. We're going to deal with that in just a minute. We're not, he's not saying, we're not saying that you're saved by your works. That's not what this passage means. Okay? But if you have saving faith, you will do the action, the work that God is calling you to do. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said this powerful statement. Listen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Just saying the word, does that mean you're going to heaven? No, not everybody that says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, not everybody that calls him Lord is going to be in heaven. Does it work that way? But those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Again, he's not saying you earn your way in. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, but if you truly have faith in me, what will be the natural result of that? You will do what I'm teaching you to do. You will trust me enough. That when I say this is the way you're supposed to do it, you will be willing to do it. You don't have to understand it. You don't even have to agree with it. What will you be willing to do? Do it. Why? Because you believe in Jesus, the one telling you to do it. That's why. Not because you understand it completely. Not because you can explain it. Not because it feels right all the time. But because Jesus said to do it. If you have faith in Jesus, you will do it. That's the way faith works. That's what faith does in our lives when you truly have faith in Jesus. I'll give you just a silly example. Let's say you believe Pastor Randy and you trust me, just in theory, okay? And I tell you, oh, no, I see a beam structure about to collapse. Get out of the building. Now, if you trust me, what are you going to do? Get out of the building. Now, don't run out of the building. I don't see that happening, okay? But you see, you would naturally, because you trust me, if I told you that, you would naturally respond by doing what needs to be done as a result of what I just told you. The same thing is true if you have faith in Jesus and in God, and you read in His Word when He says, this is the way you're supposed to do things. If you trust Jesus, what are you going to be willing to do? Do those things that He says to do. The way He says to do it, and the timing He says to do it. You see, you trust him enough. It's because you know him well enough to know he loves you. He only wants what's best for you. And because you trust that about Jesus in your relationship with him, then you're willing to accept what he says even when it's hard. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when you don't 
feel like that's the right thing. Because today in the church, more and more people are saying things like this. I know that's what God's Word says, but I just feel like... And that's how they start excusing what they want to do. I just feel like God would understand. I just feel like this is the way it needs to be now. I just feel like things have changed. I just feel like we... We don't need to do it that way now. And, and, and God will be okay with this now. We just feel like it. See, faith is not based on feelings. It's based on the evidence and the testimony that you think, I can trust Jesus. Faith in Jesus means I trust Him and what He says. And I'm willing to be submissive to what He teaches because I have faith in Him. I'm willing to take the action. So let's look at the other side of that, though, because that can be a problem, and that is works without faith. See, some people are just all in the works. Paul, uh, a lot of uh, scholars have debated this for years. I don't think there's any debate. I think it's pretty easy to understand, but that's just me. Uh, I'm not as deep as those guys that like to argue about stuff. So here's what Paul said in Ephesians about being saved by grace. Okay, let's listen to what he says. For it is grace, by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by, what's that word? Works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, to me, this is one of the coolest verses. Uh, I say that about a lot of them, don't I? Because they're all pretty cool. But, but I love this verse because what he's addressing here. It's this idea that the Judaizers were trying to put onto the Gentiles that said, you've got to still keep the old law and the works of the old law, or you can't be saved, you can't be part of the church. And so they were putting burdens on those Gentiles who wanted to be Christians, who wanted to follow Christ, that God doesn't actually put on us to follow Christ. Uh, and he's saying that we are not saved by works, which is a clear easy to understand teaching in scripture isn't it you can't work your way into heaven here's the reason James talked about it we looked at it earlier in, last week in James 2 verses 10 and 11 here's what he said remember for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it because he said you shall not commit adultery he also said you shall not murder if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder you've become a what lawbreaker you know what he's saying you can't be saved by works because all of us have done what? Sinned. And if you've committed one sin, you've broken how many of the laws? All of them. You see, if you could be saved by works, that would mean we could always do the right thing all the time, and we always have. That's how you would be saved by works. I just do it right all the time. I do the good stuff all the time. I just do all the right things, and I don't do wrong things. That's the idea of working your way into heaven. But what some people have done is they've twisted that a little bit, and they've decided, if I can just do more good than bad, then that will get me into heaven. And that gets back to what James said. You can do all the good you want, but you've still done what? You've still sinned. You've still broken the law. And the wages of sin is what? Death. So you can't get into heaven. No matter how many more good things you do than bad things, that does not get you into heaven. James is not saying that will get you into heaven. Neither is Paul. He's saying that cannot get you into heaven. You don't get there by your good works. That's not how you are saved. 
But he says, you are created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. So does God want us to do good work? When we are saved, does he expect to see us doing good work then as a result of our salvation? Absolutely. That's, that's the idea. Because you love and trust Jesus and follow Jesus, you want to do the good stuff Jesus teaches you to do. That is having faith. Saving faith in Jesus. But if you say you have faith in Jesus and you're not willing to do the good stuff Jesus teaches you to do, what does that say about your faith? It's what? Dead. It's dead. The works don't save you. You're saved by grace through faith. But saving faith will produce the action that God is calling for. I don't think those two things are contradictory at all. I think they go right together. I think they complement each other. I don't think Paul and James would have had any argument over this. They seem to be in total agreement to me on both, of these, both sides of this issue. And so I think we need to understand it this way. In Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So he's talking to those who say they believe and want to honor God with their lives. He says, okay, then here's what you need to do. Let your light shine before others, that they can see your good deeds. Now, what's the purpose for letting people see the good deeds? What, what, what's, what, what does he want to have happen as a result of that? They would glorify their Father, God. We've got a lot of people in the world today that just want to be good people, right? Let's just do good stuff, be nice. Treat each other well. Do good things. And that's not evil. That's not bad. Here's the problem with that. As Christ followers, there's a purpose behind the good deeds. We shouldn't do good stuff just so people say, wow, what a great worker. Look at how much they care about me. Man, give you the shirt off his back. You know, isn't that great? Just a wonderful person. Who's getting the glory there? They are. But God says the work is supposed to be done in a way where who gets the glory for it? God does. There's a big difference in working for your own glory and working for the glory of God. And doing good stuff for your own elevation or doing good stuff to point people to your Father. Even the church today, I think, has been duped into uh, what is called the missional church today which goes to the extreme sometimes where they say what the church needs to be all about is just doing good stuff in the community. You know what? You could do all the good stuff in the community you could possibly do and meet every need, but if you don't do it in the name of Jesus and you don't point people to Jesus, you have failed miserably. Now, don't get me wrong. We should be doing good stuff, but we need to be doing it in the name of Jesus to point people to our Father so that they could come to know Him the way we know Him. If you don't make the connection, you're just doing good stuff with no eternal benefit at all. And when you die, you just die. And those people die, they just die without Jesus because you haven't done anything to point them to Jesus. God wants us to do good work to point people to Him. That's why He said in Colossians 3, verse 17, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in whose name? The name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
So while we go around doing what God has taught us to do, what his word teaches us to do, we need to do it in the name of Jesus. We need to do it so that people come to know him. And, and that's why we are who we are doing what we do. Otherwise, we're just elevating ourselves. We're just trying to get praise for ourselves. That's all we're doing. I can understand people in the world doing that, but the church needs to be different. We need to be distinctly different. I know people love to watch these shows on television where celebrities give away stuff and help out people in real need. They found out this story. They bring them on the show, and they, they talk about how oh, we, we've heard about what a struggle you're going through. We're going to fix all that for you. And not once has God praised or is Jesus mentioned ever. Did they do some good stuff? Yes. But is it faith in action? No. It is not. It's not pointing anybody to the Father. And the church is supposed to be doing the good we do with a purpose, a higher purpose, than just even meeting needs. It's a higher purpose than that. It's meeting needs with the intent of connecting them then to the one who can supply all of their needs. It's helping them come to know God. And so we need to understand that faith without works is dead, but works without faith is also not pleasing to God. It's not what God's called us to either. So the last thing we need to see here is that in Scripture, you find these two things put together always. Faith that works. Faith that works. Those two things always go together. And so he wants to illustrate that so that we don't miss it. Remember, James is so practical. He, he just gives such clear teaching, clear examples, clear illustrations that you can't read it without really knowing what he's talking about. And I try to teach that way. I try to preach that way because I've been to some sermons that I've sat through and left and said it sounded impressive, but I have no idea what he was talking about. I don't want that to happen here. I want you to know for sure what James is talking about here. So James gives us some great illustrations of what he means by this. Okay? Here's what he says in verse 20. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham? Now here's the cool thing. Why does he bring up Abraham? Because he's so revered historically among the believers. Abraham was the patriarch of the faith, right? The father of many nations. He's, he's the one they look up to. Other than Jesus, who was the other main one they were thought was so great? Abraham, right? So he says, well, all right, let's talk about Abraham for a minute. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now, if you don't know the story in the Old Testament, God had promised Abraham a son, him and Sarah a son that, that would bless all nations, that the Messiah was going to come through that lineage. And then that son is finally born way, way after the time they were supposed to be able to have children. It's a miraculous thing. They finally have their son, Isaac. And then God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him to me on an altar in the place I'm going to show you. Didn't make any sense, did it? Why in the world would God say to take that kind of action? And that's what we do with God a lot. God, I, I know you're God, but that command doesn't make sense to me. I don't think I ought to do that. But that's not what Abraham did. There's no way this command could have made sense to Abraham. 
But what did he do? The next morning, he got up, got the wood, got his son Isaac, and they took off going to the place God was going to show them. When he got there, he built the altar. He put the wood and the fire under it, and he put, took his son, uh, and he tied him up, bound him up, and put him on there and went to offer him as a sacrifice. And he would have done it, the Scripture says, had God not stopped him right as he began to go to cut his son's throat to give the sacrifice. And he says, was not Abraham considered righteous because of what he did. He's not saying the work is what saved Abraham. He's saying what produced that action is what makes Abraham righteous. You see, it would have been evil even for Abraham to do that to his son had God not commanded him to do it, right? We, we understand that. To kill his son like that would have been an evil thing. And so the fact that he did it had to be based solely on his faith in God who told him to do it. That's the only reason he would have done it. And so the action that he was taking was being produced by the kind of faith that God wants. Faith and works, faith and action, saving faith always has connected to it the obedient actions of those who have faith. Always. So the scripture was fulfilled, he says, that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. How do we know he believed God? How do we know Abraham believed God? Because he did what God told him to do. You can say you believe God all you want, but if you're not doing what he says to do, do you really believe God? No. That's the whole point James is making. To have saving faith means... You believe him in a way that produces obedience to what he's telling you to do. He was called God's friend. Then in verse 24, the faith only people hate this verse. That's why I like to use it. <laughs> Sarcasm again, in case you didn't catch it. Right. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by what? Faith alone. Now what he means is the kind of faith that people were claiming to have. The faith that doesn't produce action. He's saying the faith that, that really makes you righteous is the faith that will produce the obedient action that God is calling for. That's the kind of faith that saves, that makes you righteous before God. Then he adds another illustration that I just love. It's like, it's like James is kind of now taking a stick and poking him a little bit. Okay? Because they could say, all right, we know Abraham was a man of faith, that's great. But then he brings up another illustration of somebody they never in a million years would have thought of as a great person of faith. Here's what he says. In the same way, verse 25, was not even, uh, who is this? Rahab, the what? Prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Now, if you know that story in the Old Testament, uh, they're trying to go in to take the promised land, but they need to check it out ahead of time. They send spies in to check it out. And Rahab uh, lives on the, uh, at the edge of town at the wall of the city, and she, she takes in those spies. And when they come looking for the spies to arrest them, what did she do? She hid them on a rooftop under uh, some of the harvest that they had taken in from the field. Uh, they, they hide them under that. And then after the people leave and it's safe, she says you can exit by letting them down out of the wall. And they made a covenant with her that when they come to take the city, they would spare her and her household when they came in to take the city. 
So he's using that as an illustration of faith in action. If you go back and read the story, Rahab has confessed to the spies that she's heard about their God and believes he's the one true God. She's doing this out of faith in the one true God. You see, no matter what our past is, when you place faith in the one true God, you can find that ability for God to make you righteous in his eyes. No matter what failures you've had, no matter what sins you've committed, when you come with that kind of faith, willing to obey, God saves you and gives you his righteousness. That's saving faith. And so he says, not just Abraham, I'm talking about people like Rahab too. If they put their faith into action, they can be saved too. They can be righteous before God too. So he adds one more time in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now think about this illustration. Now they're picturing a dead body, right? A dead body laying there. The, the spirit of life, remember when God made Adam from the dirt, he came from dirt, what are you going back to? Dirt, yeah, that's why I don't always clean dirt, because it might be somebody I know. But uh, <laughs> but the body itself, he formed the body, and then what did he have to do? You still just have a dead body there. What did he do after that? He breathed into man the breath or the spirit of life. That's what gave life to that body. So he's saying faith without works is like that body without that spirit of life breathed into it. It's just dead. What happens to a dead body? It rots and decays. It's destroyed. Faith without action is dead like that. It will just rot your life. It does not produce the salvation that you're looking for, that you want. Well, I want to close with this because sometimes people will say, okay, I understand. I hope you understand. I don't think this is that hard to understand. I want to help you understand it if you don't. We'll talk to you more about it if you need to talk more about it. Here's the thing. He's not saying you're going to work your way into heaven, but he is saying that if you truly believe, you will be willing to take the action, the steps that God wants you to take. Okay? In Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27, he says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And a lot of churches will stop there, but if you look at that verse, what's, what's that little thing after faith there? There's a little mark there. What is it? That's an apostrophe. You know why? Because that's not the whole statement. He didn't stop there with what he was saying. He added more to it. There's a little comma there, okay? Not an apostrophe, but a comma. It's a pause. And he's going to finish what he's saying now. Listen to what he says. You're all children of God through faith for, all right? So he's connecting something with this, right? For all of you who were what? Baptized into Christ have done what? Clothe yourselves with Christ. When I stand before God in judgment, I want to be clothed with Christ. I know I need a righteousness, not my own. My own righteousness is like filthy rags. I need to be clothed with Christ. So he says, here's an action I'm teaching you to take so that you can be clothed with Christ and be made righteous before God. If you have faith, what will you do? You'll take action. 
you will do what he's telling you to do. So he says, all of you who've been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now that's not the only thing God tells us to do, but that's the beginning step of faith, he says, is to start doing these things that God tells you to do. Here's one of the first things he says to do, be baptized. And yet, Churches all over the world today will tell people, you got saved, pray this prayer, let Jesus in your heart. And they won't even talk to him yet about being obedient in baptism. But let's go back to the Acts, the very beginning of the church. The first gospel sermon ever preached is recorded in Acts 2. And when Peter finished that sermon in verse 37, it says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, What shall we do? You see, they understood when they heard Peter's sermon that they had been sinful and they nailed Jesus to the cross. Their sins put them there. And they were asking the most important question you can ask. What can we do about this sinful thing? How can we make things right with God? You know what Peter didn't say? Only believe. It's not what he said. He didn't say, well, just Every head bowed, every eye closed, raise your hand right where you sit. I see that hand. I see that. He didn't do that with the crowd. He told them to take the action that faith called for. He said, I need you to do two things. God wants you to do two things. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he had this in verse 39. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That word repent is an action word. It means you realize you're going the wrong direction in your life and you want to stop going that way, turn your life around, and start going the right way. It doesn't mean perfection. It means turning from sin, turning toward what's right with God. So, if you believe the message, Peter said, then here's what you need to do. You're asking, so I'm going to tell you. Here's what you need to do. You need to take action now. You need to repent. Turn around. Stop going the wrong way with your life. And then he told them to take one more action. What was it? Be baptized. The word baptized means to be immersed in water there. That's what they did. They practiced baptism in water by immersion. Uh, and he says that's what you need to do. If you, if you believe this message, then here's what you need to do. Repent and be baptized. And he says it's for a purpose. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. If, if we're going to have life, it's by the Spirit that we have life. And he says, all right, in your faith, if you believe the teachings of Jesus Christ and what I've told you about Jesus, then the action God wants you to take is repentance and baptism, and he's going to give you that spirit of life to come and indwell you. But he says this promise is not just for the audience Peter was speaking to. He said it's not just for you, it's for your children too. And it's not just for your children, who else was it for? All who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, which means the same promise is here for you today. If you believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that he died on that cross for you, he was buried and that he rose again, if you believe that with a saving kind of faith, it means it will produce the response that God calls for. He wants you to repent, turn from your sins. 
See, baptism is just getting wet if you don't repent, if you don't turn from your sin. If I believe just dunking somebody in the water would save them, I've talked about this before, I would have a ministry team that did drive-by baptisms. I would get the biggest, strongest people we've got at church, and I'd get a flatbed truck with a tank on the back with water in it, and we would drive around and ask people, have you been baptized? And if they hadn't, we'd just jump out of the truck and grab them. And we would just wrestle them into the water. But you know what we'd get if we did that? A bunch of mad people and probably some restraining orders. And we certainly wouldn't be saving anybody. You see, the action has to be produced by what? Faith. If the faith's not there, the action is just works. And you can't be saved by your works. You're saved by grace through faith. But if you have that kind of faith, what will you do? You will take the action. Now, after baptism, guess what? As you learn, continue to learn what Jesus teaches to do, and you still have faith, what are you going to be doing? Making those changes in your life as you learn what God teaches you to do. Because you trust God enough to know that He only wants what's best for you. And so you're willing to do what He teaches, even when it's hard. So the faith goes on into action beyond baptism. Just getting somebody in the water is not the end. It's the beginning of the response of faith, not the end. And so the obedience continues as you continue to learn what God teaches. So today we're going to give you that opportunity because this promise was not just for those people. It's for you here today as well. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that even today if we would believe not just the information not just intellectually but truly have faith in you then today even today if we would respond in faith to what you've called us to do the action of repenting and being baptized if there's anybody today who hasn't taken that action they could take it today and if it's done in faith it is by through faith by grace through faith that they can be saved even here today and Father, we pray that we would see more and more come to you through that response of faith. But Father, for those of us who've already been baptized, help us to remember that saving faith will continue to produce obedience and we need to be willing to continue to walk in the actions that you've called us to take. And we do that not to earn our way into heaven, but out of gratitude that you've already prepared a place for us there through your son Jesus. And we do that to point others to you. May we be living, active witnesses to your grace in our lives through our walk of faith and obedience. May we point people to you, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.